Pastor Seth is on vacation this week, so I forgot to announce the kids are dismissed. So if you're still a kid in here, you're about to have to endure something you may not enjoy. Just kidding. The sermon, this is the fun part. This is the best part of the whole time, right? All right. So uh, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at starting in verses 12. This is, uh, we've got, we're going through, we're studying through uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, as we know, it starts in, chapter, or in Acts chapter 16. Uh, so if you haven't read that up to this point, I encourage you to go back and read that because that's kind of where it launches the church. And then Paul uh, writes the church back, and, and this is what we see in Philippians, and, and we're going to go through a couple of things. But, but before we jump into the text, I just want to tell you uh, that in 18, make sure I give you the date, or 1799, uh, a man named Conrad Reed uh, was out on a fishing trip, and he found this rock that he thought would be a perfect doorstep for his house so he put it on his mule he took it all the way back to his house he took this big rock that he had found on his fishing trip put it as his doorstep and for three years uh, his family would come in and out of the house stepping on this rock that he had discovered his dad uh, would come around uh, and he would uh, he was like ah, there's something about that rock I don't know they would talk about it and he's like dad you're just being silly but at one point the dad took the rock and took it to a jeweler. He just says, I'm just going to take the rock. So he took the rock, he took it to a jeweler, and come to find out that this rock that they had been stepping on for three years was a solid piece of gold, solid gold. And so, uh, and it was worth, at that time, $3,600, which in 17, uh, eight, you know, 1780, 1800 was like millions today. I mean, just tons of money. And so... One man sees a doorstep, and another man sees an opportunity. And so today we're going to look at circumstances in our life. There's going to be things that happen that we could view it one way as bad and like, this is, this is, I can't believe this has happened to me, or I'm going through this hard time. Or you could also see it a different way. And, and Paul is going to be an example for us, because where we find Paul is he's in prison, and he is uh, facing execution. He's about to get a note back from the emperor. He's going to appear before the emperor. He's going to give his presentation. But there is a good chance that he's going to be executed because of his proclamation of the gospel. And so what we're going to look at, that's what I want you to think about as we start going through this passage today, is that all of us are going to encounter circumstances. We're all going to encounter life. And it's how you view that circumstance. It's how you deal with that Thing that's put before us that thing we have to go through that really changes everything it's a perspective so let's let's pray before we jump into it Lord I thank you so much that we have your word and as believers you have given to this to us as a guide as a as a standard as the truth and so I pray that you will help us to take this this letter that Paul has written to the church way back many years ago but Lord, you've also just written it directly to us. And we could take that and apply it to our lives. Show us in the next couple of minutes how we could take your word and apply it to our lives. Show us how we can look at circumstances in our life in a way that you would have us to see them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we're going to look at is Paul. And one of the themes that we see throughout this passage is that Paul is wanting to honor the Lord with his life. Right? Now surely we all as Christians want to do the same thing. We want to bring honor and glory to God with our lives. And so the first thing that we see is how we react to circumstances. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So go back to verse 12. Paul has talked about the churches and his own participation and advance, the participating in the advancement of the gospel. This is what we see in the opening verses is how we're participating, how we're partners in sharing the gospel. Uh, we're going to see that Paul is going to receive a gift from this church in Philippi. He, he, he's believed to be in prison in Rome, so he's writing them this letter. And so they're, they're partners. And it, it may appear that the advancement of the gospel here has now been hindered since he's in prison. And, but here he explains that his imprisonment, this, this idea of being in chains, has really served to advance the gospel. And so this is the first thing I want you to think about, is that sometimes life happens, you, have, you face these circumstances, and we see it as the end. Oh, this, I, I can't do this anymore. I once could do this, I once could do all of these things, but now this has happened, and now I can't do that anymore. Well, for Paul, Paul is actually seeing this as an opportunity to do something different, to do something new. And his change could easily be viewed as a tragic end to a brilliant career, right? We can look at Paul and go, oh, he was such a good church planner. He was such a good, you know, apostle. He was so good at that. And then he got imprisoned, and how sad. This outrageous injustice against him. But instead of being led by his change to a negative outlook, Paul used them, uh, it led him to being chained to the guards, and, and he was constantly talking to the guards about this faith that he had, and this, to this Jesus person was. And so every time Paul would be chained to the imperial guard, he's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And Paul said it had become known throughout the whole imperial guard. They all know who is Paul. They all know why he's there. They all know who Jesus is. They may not have accepted him, but they all know who Jesus is, and they know why Paul's there. And it may seem like a setback in Paul's agenda, right, of carrying the gospel from this church. Remember what we saw in the early part of, of Acts or 16, and then here it leads us to Philippians chapter 1, that the strategy was is that he would go and go to a city, he'd go to the synagogue, he'd find the Jewish people, and he would explain from the Old Testament how Jesus was a fulfillment of the scriptures and how that's who Jesus was and all these different things. And then by the time you get to Lydia and the, the jailer and the, uh, the, the demon-possessed girl that we see in 16, right, that he had to change his strategy. And now he finds himself in prison. And so his whole strategy and plan, all these things that he had was planning to do, now he can't do anymore. So, in fact, this restriction of Paul's mobility has opened the doors of the gospel into areas of power, into people that he never would have had an opportunity to share the gospel with had he not been imprisoned. And so his strategy was, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk to the Jewish people, and God says, no, I'm going to put you here and you're going to share with these people. And he's actually, in the months to come, he's going to be able to talk to the emperor himself. He's going to be able to share the gospel with all of those high-ranking magistrates, right? All these high-ranking officials. He never would have been able to do that had he not been imprisoned. And so there's going to be opportunities the Lord's going to open up to us where he's like, yeah, you're not going to do that anymore. 
or at least right now, you're not going to do that thing that you used to do, that you used to be really good at, that all of that. Instead, I'm going to put you here, and this is how you're going to serve me. This is how you're going to share the gospel. This is how the strategy is going to change. Second reason as to why his imprisonment was not taking away from the spread of the gospel but actually adding to it was how it was affecting other believers right so you've got all these other people these these believers in Jesus who are part of the church and instead of getting discouraged they actually get encouraged and they start there becomes a boldness with them that they didn't have before but now that Paul's in prison and he's continuing to share the gospel with all of these guards he just keeps on talking about Jesus they're like well, if he could talk about Jesus in prison, surely we could talk about Jesus out here. And there's an emboldening that happens. It's affecting other believers. The chains that held Paul were inspiring others to share the gospel. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear, it says. And so Paul didn't stop speaking about Jesus no matter where he was. And here's the thing. Circumstances are going to come. You don't stop talking about Jesus. You just keep sharing your story. You keep talking about who Jesus is and what he means to you no matter where you are no matter what happens no matter what the circumstances are the message stays the same so Paul was not bound to the guards they were bound to him think about that you know, you put Paul in prison he's just gonna keep on talking you chain him to the guards he's gonna keep on talking about Jesus He's just gonna keep on ministering he never ceased to tell them about Jesus his example led most of the believers, not some of the believers, not a group of the believers, most of the believers to become emboldened to share who Jesus was. There was a remarkable increase in the, bro, in the bold proclamation of Jesus amongst the church. They were doing the very thing that caused Paul to be arrested. Paul was arrested. He had to go to prison. And now they're doing the same thing. And they're emboldened by it. They're, they're excited about it. So for this church, it took the imprisonment of Paul to embolden them. What would it take for the church in America to become emboldened for the sake of the gospel? Like, What's it really take for God to come to us and shake us up to where we begin to do what God has called us to do? What would it take to shake us from apathy and comfort? And one of the things that we see about Paul is that courage is contagious. His, his courage and his sharing with the imperial guard and him talking about Jesus constantly is contagious. It reminds me of a story. There was a, there was a man and he, and he would go around and he would tell this story about how when he was younger he had snuck up on a, on a, on a lion and with his pocket knife he had cut the tail off of the lion. And he actually would hold up the tail. I know it sounds gross, but he would, he would hold up the tail and he'd go around and, and he'd say, one time when I was younger I snuck up on this lion and I cut his tail off with my pocket knife. And eventually people got tired of hearing the story. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of the guys said, well, when you were sneaking up on this lion with your pocket knife, why didn't you cut the head off instead of the tail? And the man said, well, somebody had already cut the head off by the time I got there. <laughs> That's a joke. You can laugh at that. That's okay. See, courage is contagious, right? We, we, things happen, and somebody else does something bold, and we get bold too, you know, and, and we get excited, and we get emboldened. When we find ourselves chained to what appears to the world to be a disadvantage, you would say, I've chained to this disadvantage. This may be actually God's plan. 
It may actually be an advantage to do what God has called you to do. It might be the thing that you think you're good at. That might actually be a disadvantage of the calling that God's put on your life. The thing that he said, this is what I want you to do now in this season. Now you're going to be chained to this thing that you thought was going to be a disadvantage. But God's going to use it in a different way. We may not be chained to the world. The world may find itself chained to us. Who's going to be bold for the gospel? Who's going to be bold for Jesus? Who's going to say, I'm going to be shaken out of my empathy and apathy. I'm going to do what God has called me to do in this new season of my life. Second thing that we see is he, Paul addresses a motive for doing ministry. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Then, among all of those emboldened people that now have stood up and they're starting to share Christ, and they're like, most of the brothers are now emboldened, he speaks of two groups, mentions two groups here. Both are Christians. We've got to clear that up kind of from the beginning. Both of these groups that Paul's talking about are believers. It's not ones in sheep's clothing. It's not some quasi-Christian. They're not adding to the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. Two groups preaching accurately the gospel. People are getting saved, both camps getting saved, right? They, they, they both have the same message. What divides them is what they think about Paul. What do they think about Paul? They were preachers who were motivated by love, especially because they loved Paul, and they were preachers motivated by selfish ambition. The second group, that's the selfish ambition group, wanted Paul to suffer. They wanted to, because he was in trouble, they wanted him to suffer. Their preaching, though true in content, was a facade, it was pretense, it was envious, self-seeking, wanting to hurt Paul. So with Paul being in prison, competition's been removed, and now they can kind of take their spot on the stage. This is, a, this is a group of people that would go and they would preach the gospel accurately. And there would be a crowd and they would see people saved. And then they would have this tally mark where they could go, look how many people under this ministry we've seen saved. Paul, how many are you leading to Christ? They're in prison. That's the idea, right? Paul, Paul, don't you think that when Paul was the apostle and he was the leader, now he's in prison. Aren't we going to be looking for somebody new to be the leader? I wonder who we could look to to be the new leader, these people that are putting up hash marks on the board me, it should be me not Paul right so you got this envious group this this selfish group that's focused on themselves and they're kind of moving up the ladder uh, in the church and trying to be take hold and take Paul's spot and all of that stuff's going on that's what it means to try to hurt Paul Right? So Paul's the apostle, he's the appointed leader, he's the guy that's, that's writing these letters, he's, he's the authoritative person. With him out of the picture, somebody's got to take his spot. And so there's starting to be all of these kind of people wrestling for the spot. And they're preaching, and they're oh, but... And, and at, the, at all of this time, they're thinking, well, I want to I hurt Paul. And the idea is that I want to take his spot. I'm going to negotiate around him. Now I'll be in charge. And Paul's like, I don't care. 
Just preach the gospel. If you're preaching the gospel and people are getting saved, praise the Lord, I don't care. Like he just, he really doesn't care. He does not care. It's not about a win for him. There are people, and you may not know this because you guys, you know, go here. But in other churches, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There, there are some Christians who believe that Christianity is a zero-sum game. Have you guys ever heard of that phrase, zero-sum game? Zero-sum game is, in order for me to win, you have to lose, right? In order for me to gain something, you have to lose something. In order for me to, to move ahead, somebody else has to move behind. That's what we mean by a zero-sum game. And so there's some Christians that are like, in order for us to win as a church, we have to have more numbers or be doing something different than the church across the street. Right? We're better than they are. We're, more, we're better church than they are because of whatever that measure is. Right? And it's always it's typically a numbers game. Drew, why don't you go to the conventions? Well, there was a season when I was younger that I would go to the seat, that I would go to the conventions. And let me just tell you how the conversation usually goes. It goes like this. Hey, hey, what's your name? I'm Drew. What's your name? Oh, nice to meet you. Where are you from? I'm from, you know, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from so-and-so. Guys, it takes about 30 seconds to get to this question. So what y'all running? You know what that means? How many people do you have in your church? What are you running? And there's, a, there's this pecking order that, that takes place. Uh, oh, you're running. Oh, okay, I'm better than you. Like it's almost just like, oh, you've got this many? Oh, I'm, I'm better than you. Oh, you've got more than I do? Oh, let me, uh, you know, and it's just like, like, you just get sick of it. Like you just get like, ugh. Like that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about, guys. It's not about that. It's not what it's about. For Paul, he's like, he's got these young leaders that are vying for his position. They're, they're trying to, to use this as an opportunity to leverage power. And he's like, praise the Lord, I don't care. Because I think he knows ultimately who's in charge. Right? The Lord's in charge. Lord wants him to be the apostle, he's going to be the apostle. Lord wants him to do this, then he's going to do that. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about seeing people saved. So if they're preaching the gospel, praise the Lord, people are getting saved. I really don't care about the power and the politics and all of that stuff. Paul's saying it's not about that anyway. So then we roll on to honoring Christ in life or by death. So look at verse 18. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that in full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, and that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's go back to 18, right? Is Paul says that he will rejoice. This is the future tense. Uh, I'm going to rejoice 
either if this happens or if this happens. doesn't matter what circumstances in life happen to going into the future, I will rejoice. Whether in life or death, whether he's executed or released, I'm going to praise the Lord. Paul is determined to rejoice. His circumstances drove him to prayer, not despair. Right? And so the circumstances can drive you in one of two directions. For him, it drove him to pray. It, it drove him to be thankful for those people around him. It drove him to say, you know, regardless, I've thought about these things. I'm just going to choose to rejoice. Paul's desire is to honor Christ above anything else. His life, his reputation, uh, being slandered, freedom. It doesn't matter. All those things are inconsequential to him and his relationship with Jesus Christ. We see the same idea in Job chapter 13, right? Uh, Job is, if you remember from the Old Testament, the man who God allowed Satan to just take everything from him except for his life eventually, right? He took his, took his kids, he took his wealth, he took his health, he took, he took everything away from him. Until eventually he's sitting on this ash heap uh, of what used to be his life. And he's like, you know, I want to dialogue and I want to talk with God about this because I'm not very happy about this, but I'm not going to dishonor him. Uh, and he says this, so though he slay me, right, takes my life, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Right, I'm going I'm to talk about this. We're going to argue back and forth, but this will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. He's, he's, he's like, my salvation is in God, in my relationship with him. I love him, and I know he loves me. I don't know why these things are happening, but I still, my salvation is found in God. So Paul is convinced that two things will lead to his deliverance from, pri from prison, right? He's writing to church. He's telling him two things are going to lead to my deliverance. One is through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And so because of their prayers, Paul is filled with joy instead of anxiety. So you can say, well, why, why would I pray for other people? Like, why don't I just pray for myself? Why, why not pray for other people? Because through their prayers... Paul is able to be strengthened and encouraged. He doesn't have the anxiety. Instead, he's filled with joy. And a better way of thinking of, of, of the help of the Spirit is the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the same word that was used at this time for marriage contracts. So if I were going to make a marriage contract with my spouse, I would promise to provide for her a, a, a provision. And so they're saying we're a provision of the Holy Spirit not a provision from the Holy Spirit, right? We're not asking, the Holy Spirit's not going to be there to give you something. What is provided for Paul is the Holy Spirit with him. He's present with him. The prayers help him be aware of that. There's an awareness that comes through the power of those prayers that Paul's like, oh, the Spirit of Jesus is with me. Look at Luke 11. This is uh, Jesus talking, and he's talking about, hey, look, you're a parent, right? You, you know how to take care of your kids. That's the context of what he's saying. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What you need, what you need, what we need in this life when we encounter these hard circumstances is not stuff, not something. What we need is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with us. So, 
Paul is not going to be in prison alone. He's not going to stand trial alone. He's not going to face death alone. He's not going to be in, continue the work of the ministry alone. The Holy Spirit will be with him. And so we get three things I want to look at really quick. First off, Jesus is with me now. Right? Jesus is with me now. Verse 20, Paul says, I will not, I will not be at all ashamed. That's what he's praying for. I just don't want to be ashamed. But with that, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. His shame is not, listen, is not his own reputation. He's not it's like, I don't want to be ashamed of myself. But it's his circumstance, his trial. He does not want to misstep or say something that will corrupt the gospel. He's like, I've got this opportunity that's going to be laid at my feet. I'm going to have an opportunity to defend the gospel with the most powerful man in the entire world, really. I've got an opportunity that's been laid right here. I don't want to make, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to have a misstep here. It's so important that I get this right. I don't want to be ashamed of this later saying, oh, I wish I would have said this instead of this. Or, oh, I had this chance, but I blew it. I don't want to be ashamed. I want Christ to be honored. And in order for this to happen, he needs full courage, it says. Full courage. Paul believes in verse 19, he says, For I know, I know that there's coming this day where he's going to stand, he's going to give an apologetic, he's going to give a defense, an explanation of the gospel. There will be an opportunity, this forum to share. And when the day comes, I need full courage to be able to do and say the things that I need to say. Why? Because it could lead to his death. Right? It, it could cost him his life to share the gospel before this powerful man, this group, he says, when that moment comes and you feel the pressure and I know it may cost me my life, I don't want to be ashamed of how I handled that situation. Can we take that and apply that to our lives? You know about a business meeting that's coming? You know about a conversation you've got to have? You know about certain things that are going on? And you know that that's probably going to be your opportunity to share the gospel or share about Jesus or share what God means to you. And it's going to take full courage for you to be able to do that because there might cost you something. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your job. Rarely will it cost us our lives because we don't live under that persecution of a country right now. But it, will, it may cost you something to have to share who Jesus is to you. And that's what Paul's saying. I don't want to be ashamed. When that moment comes, I need full courage. Verse 21. No matter what, no matter what it costs, right? When that moment comes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the previous verses, Paul's talking about not being ashamed of how God has, what God's done. He's going to bring him honor in his defense of the gospel. In the verses that come later, we're going to see Paul's talking about what he does with his body, with the flesh. He's talking about fruitful labor. And so in between, in the middle, if Paul remains, then he will be able to experience Christ being present in the flesh. So I, I'm going to stay alive. I'm going to be able to keep going. Then I've got fruitful labor in front of me. If he dies, he will experience being what it means to be with Christ in eternity. Both are experiences of being with Jesus both are wonderful. And he's like, either way, gain, gain. I'm, I'm going to win either way. To live as Christ, your life as a Christian is not something that you will ever complete on this side of eternity. 
Like you, don't ever, you don't ever get there. Like you're not going to arrive as a Christian to where you would say, I know it all, I've experienced it all, I'm fully mature, I don't, ma- I don't sin anymore, I'm good to go. We don't ever get there. You don't ever get there. And so you're always growing, you're always learning. And in that relationship with the Lord, each season of life teaches you something different. Right? I, have, I have people that are friends of mine that are each stage of life, they're all learning something different. The Lord is, is teaching them something. Some of you are a little bit further down the road than I am in my journey with the Lord, and you're learning something that I have yet to learn yet. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian. God is going to continue to work in our lives all the way through. To live is Christ. But also, Jesus will be with me in life, but he'll also be with me in death. One way of looking at Paul saying to die is gain One way could be, I want to emphasize, it could be that this life is full of of pain and it's full of suffering and it's full full of like having to go through hardship. And and we could say that for him to die would suddenly be uh, free of that, right? For him to die would suddenly be, that could be what he's talking about. But this is where it's important to look at a verse in context. Because if you look at it in context, that's not the conclusion that we get to. He, Paul is finding joy in life. His life is centered in Christ. If Paul is executed because of his witness for Christ, his defense of the gospel, then it is gain because he has died defending the faith. The faith is able to move forward. It's a gain for the gospel. Paul does not list all the painful experiences that he's been through. Instead, he says that he's able to continue to live so that he could have fruitful labor, right? In order to continue to serve Christ. And so, to die for him is gain, but it's gain for the gospel. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is with me in death. So one way of looking at it, or sorry, it's thirdly, C, I will be with Jesus in heaven. The first thing is he's with us in life. second thing, he's with us in death at that moment, whatever it might be. Thirdly, he's with us in eternity. Paul also tells us that for believers, those who put their faith in Jesus, to depart is to be with Christ. When we die, we go to be with Christ. Those who put their faith and trust in him. 2 Corinthians 5.8, this is one of those verses that I prefer in the King James. Right? This is the ESV, but the King James says basically to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The idea is, yes, you are a good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment at seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so Jesus is with Paul as he's doing ministry now. He's with Paul at the moment of death, and Jesus is going to be with Paul in eternity. We're going to, we see that again and again in Scripture. To be absent from here, this earthly plane, and go into eternity is to be present with the Lord. And the way that we are with Jesus in heaven is different than how we are with Jesus now. How? Drew, how's, how's it different? Here, in this earth, we have this thing called sin nature that every single one of us struggles with, right? Oh, we don't want to do certain things, but we keep finding ourselves doing those things, right? Paul even says this. 
He says, Romans 7, 15. For For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't do it. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I do it. And Paul's like, I'm just sick of it. Like, I'm just tired of it. We all have that struggle that we have. But when we go into eternity, that struggle goes away. That struggle between your flesh and your spirit, that battle's done. Right? You go into eternity, that goes away. There's no sin in heaven. There's, no, there's none of that there. So Paul's saying, in heaven, it's, it's far better. But to remain in the flesh is to still have our sin nature and to still have this bend toward rebellion. But Paul says, our relationship with Jesus, if we go and be with, with him, it's gain. And so, throughout this passage, we see several things that the world would look at. But when Paul looks at it, or when Christ would have us look at it, it's opposite than what we would expect. Paul is joyful and is excited, even though he's imprisoned. The church has been emboldened to share Christ, even though it could mean that they would end up in prison just like Paul is, right? The persecution didn't oppress the people, it emboldened them. This is what, this is what tyrants have not understood generation after generation after generation with Christians, is that they, the harder you try to push on a Christian, the more it's going to cause them to multiply. Persecution only causes the gospel to flourish. If you, don't, if you don't want the gospel to flourish, guess what you do? Just leave them alone. They get apathetic and, and plain and bored with the gospel. They don't even share Jesus anymore. Just leave them alone. But suddenly a tyrant steps up. Persecution comes. Pers- the gospel explodes. But the persecution didn't oppress them. It emboldened them. Paul is not frustrated by preaching the gospel with the wrong people but with the wrong motives. He's excited that they're just out there preaching. And while we would more likely be terrified, I know I would be, facing death, Paul can't make up his mind which is better, to live or to die. I don't know. Can you imagine an imperial guard next to him and he's got some kind of sick nature and he's like, guess what, we're going to kill you, boy. And Paul's like, I don't know, that might be good. What you think? I don't know, I can't decide. You know, if I go, I'll get to be with Jesus, but then if I stay here, then I get to be able to share the gospel with you again. And I just, I can't make up my mind. And the pastor's like, oh, you know, that's just, you know, like, what is up with that? How do we have that kind of mindset? How do we we get to that same place as Paul is? I want to share a passage with you. It's from Jeremiah. And I'm getting toward the end. Don't worry. All right. Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verse 7. Let's talk about a tree. Let's talk about being planted next to the stream. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Who trusts is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the years of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So you got a tree next to a stream. The roots go deep down into the water, so it's always good. It's going to always have green leaves. It's going to always have fruit on the tree. It's, it's safe no matter what happens around the tree. There's drought. There's difficult times. There's well, dry years, doesn't matter because it's tapped into the stream. If you're a Christian, you got that root of belief and faith. If you'll, if you'll just completely trust in Jesus, you, you put that root, let that be in God alone, it doesn't matter what happens around you. 
those circumstances are going to change. They just keep changing. It doesn't matter. You're still going to be fruitful. You're still going to, you're going to stay focused. You're still going to have joy in your life because it's not about the circumstances around you. It's being tapped into in your relationship with the Lord. We get it mixed up. Here's what we do. Instead of getting tapped in and trusting in the Lord, we trust in the circumstances, right? We say, oh, times are good. Yay! Oh, times are bad. Boo. And we're like this emotionally. We're up and we're down and we're up and we're down because we're all tapped into the circumstance. And God's like, no, 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 no. Stop doing that. Get tapped into your relationship with the Lord. When we trust the Lord, He becomes our source of courage and contentment when life is hard. And so for Paul, his entire life was focused on Jesus and the calling upon his life. He was a church planner, he was a preacher. The world blows its destructive winds around us. We are not basing it on circumstances. Instead, there's a deep connection with Jesus. So where is joy found? Where do you find it? If you're, if you're an atheist, like Voltaire, it's not an unbelief, right? So obviously, he say, this is what Voltaire said, I wish I had never been born. And he said, well, I'm going to find joy in pleasure. And so there have been multiple people that have just gone after pleasure, just gone after pleasure. Lord Byron, person who's known for that, he wrote this, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. You say, oh, well, I'll find joy in money. If I just had a little bit more money, or if I were rich, then, I, then that would bring me joy. There's a guy named Jay Gold, American millionaire. He said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Oh, well, Drew, it's, it's about fame. You know, it's about being an influencer. It's about, you know, people knowing who you are. It's another guy, Lord Beaconsfield, said, Youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Oh, it's about power. It's all about taking over. It's all about being in charge. And if I could just have that, then I would have joy. But remember Alexander the Great, as they, after he had conquered the known world, he sat in despair and said, There's no more worlds to conquer. He was depressed. Like all of these things do not give us joy. Joy is found in one place, and it's in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's staying in relationship with Him. It's about that presence of God in our lives. He's with you no matter if times are good. He's with you if times are bad. He's with you now. He's with you at the moment of death. He's with you in eternity. Christ is always with us. That is what brings us joy. That is what sustains us. That's what allowed Paul to go through all of these things, yet he's in prison. Do you know him today? And if you do know him, are you, are you tight with him? Are you, are you like that tap that's rooted in, or are you distant? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you give us your word. Lord, I thank you that you gave us an example like Paul. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, I pray for the person in this room that said, Drew, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. Here's what you need to know. It's that Jesus came to this world. He came to die for us on a cross. He came so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we can be freed of our sin, so that we can enter into eternity with him. And if you don't know him, you can say a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, just say it to yourself. You're talking to the Lord, just you and the conversation between you and God. Dear Jesus, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner. I know that I have done things that have displeased you. I believe in the Bible. I believe what you said. I believe that Jesus came, that he lived a, a sinless life. 
that he died on the cross and that somehow my sin was placed on that cross and his forgiveness was given to me if I place my faith in you. So right now I just want to place my faith in Jesus. I confess him now as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a relationship. I want to go to heaven. I want to have this thing that Pastor Drew's been talking about this morning. If that's you this morning, you can do a couple of things. One, Greg's going to come and lead us in a song. You can just come forward. You can shake my hand and say, Drew, I prayed that prayer with you a few minutes ago. You could, you could also take a card out of the back pew, write your name on it, and then we'll talk uh, later this week. You say, Drew, I just want to get together. I want to pray. I want to talk about some things. I, 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 don't, I don't fully understand everything you talked about, but I, I feel like I, I need to work this thing out. Let me know. And if you're a believer here this morning, and your life's up and it's down and it's up and it's down and circumstances just blow you away, it could be today's message is, Lord, I just need to trust in you. I need to stop trusting in my circumstances. One more thing I think you may want to consider during our time of invitation is that there were some of you whose life situations have changed and now God has opened the door of opportunity for you to serve in a way that you didn't think about before or that you haven't considered. And instead of being chained to the world, maybe the world is chained to you.